0: dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're discussing Persuasion by Jane Austen. Hi, Chelsea. Hi,
1: Sarah. Sarah! Sarah! This is our 100th episode. Oh, I, I
0: forgot. I in our outline. <laughs> I mean, it's not in our outline, but our outline is titled 100 Persuasion.
1: <laughs> so I, I should know. have... Wow, I can't believe it. Isn't that wild? I, it feels very fitting that we're talking about Austin for our 100th episode. That was absolutely intentional, everyone. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's just... I think... We're recording this, obviously, a couple of weeks before the episode comes out. And so I don't think it's going to sink in until the episode is actually out in the world and I get a little time to reflect on it. But I'm so glad that we've been able to record 100 episodes together, Sarah.
0: Me too. Through huge changes, moves, babies, all of that, uh, COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels really good to be on our 100th episode. and. I just feel like the more we record, the more ideas we have, and I don't know, when we first started this, there was a little like thought in the back of my mind that's like, well, we're going to run out of classics that we want to talk about maybe quicker than we realize. And not only is that not true, (laughs) we have so many classics I'm dying to talk about, but we filled in all kinds of different episodes and just gotten to try lots of new things. And yeah, here we are 100 episodes in and can't wait to keep going.
1: I know. I'm so proud of what we've created. And it's so much fun to keep going. It's just like you said, there are always new ideas popping up. And I was thinking the other day about how I don't know if if this is true for you, but I feel like I'm in a very lonely season of life, having a little one being home a lot by myself a lot. And we just moved to a different state. So I know this is a little, little specific, specific to my situation, but it is such a huge blessing to have scheduled time to talk to each other every week and to have a conversation with a friend. So On a personal level, I'm so grateful for this podcast and for you,
0: Sarah. And I'm just really excited and proud of us for
1: 100 episodes.
0: Me too. Oh, I completely agree with that. And I feel the same. And I feel the same about our amazing Patreon community and getting to talk with our Classics Club over there for whether it's for bonus episodes, which means extra time that you and I get to record or for different episodes. events virtual events that we have with our lit scholars like book clubs and our new seminars and classes and it really is just become such an important community in both of our lives and so thank you to all of you listening for continuing to support the show by downloading it by sharing it or by being part of our patreon community and Now's a great time to join the Patreon community for our fall semester. We have so many good things planned about adaptation, and it's a great way to celebrate 100 episodes with us. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes, but that's patreon.com slash novel pairings. We love to be virtual book buddies with all of you. Well, I
1: cannot wait to hear everyone's thoughts on Persuasion in Book Club, but first we get to have our mini book club together. So Sarah, let's talk about Persuasion. You actually listened to this on audio a couple months ago,
0: right? I did. And so I I feel like, so I listened to it a couple of months ago and so much has happened (laughs) 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 <laughs> life-wise. <laughs> and I've read so many books in between then that I do feel like I'm going to rely on you for more of the details of this one than I typically do. Um, because this is also not an Austin book that I've read a million times. I read Persuasion in high school, just for, for fun. And then I think it was six years ago, I did a Jane Austen summer class at Oxford. I'm sure I've talked about this before on the podcast. Also, teachers, book lovers, anyone can sign up for these classes. Anyone. So let's put a link to that in the show notes too. Persuasion (laughs) was the last book we read for that three-week class. And we had to write a paper the last week. And so I didn't really read it, for that class I was working on my paper. So I, I felt like I just I hadn't read it since high school really. And so when I reread it or listened to it this summer, it felt totally brand new. I absolutely loved it. I listened to the Cynthia Erivo narration on Spotify, which is great. Um, but yeah, I really, really loved it. And I want to get more specific than that. But first, I want to hear what your thoughts were on this book.
1: I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think I read it maybe like you, six or seven years ago. And so picking it up again, a little bit older in a different, completely different life stage was remarkable. I feel like I saw so, so much uh, just different themes, different things jumped out at me. And because I loved the reading experience of Lonesome Dove so much, and I really took my time with that one, I took my time with Persuasion. I annotated and highlighted, which I haven't done in quite a while. And I understand why so many people describe this as Austin's autumnal novel. There are <laughs> some really lovely autumn passages in here, but also it's about a heroine who is a slightly older. It's about kind of coming of age later in life. And it was just lovely. It's really lovely, it's very romantic.
0: Yeah. So if you are not familiar with Persuasion, the basic summary is we have our our heroine, our main protagonist is Anne Elliot. Like Chelsea said, she's an older Austen heroine. She's 27 or 28.
1: Is that right? Yeah, I think she turns 28 over the course of the novel. Okay. It takes place kind of like in a calendar year.
0: Yeah, yeah. Some years ago, I think it was like seven years ago, she had... Fallen hard for um, Frederick Wentworth, who her family most well her, her family disapproved of, but mostly it was her friend, her good friend and sort of mother figure, Lady Russell, um, told Anne that that this probably wasn't the best match for her. Anne is from an aristocratic family; um, her father is titled Sir Walter Elliot. And, but they, um, like many of Austin's <laughs> families, they haven't been um, the best at managing their money. And so, at this, at, at the later point when the novel starts, the Elliots are kind of a family in financial, not crisis, but decline. So, she ended up turning down Frederick Wentworth's offer. He, goes off to sea, becomes, maybe he's a captain even when they are courting, but he's certainly a captain when he returns to her life. He's now very wealthy. He's made a great name for himself. He's made himself a fortune. And and Anne regrets her choice. I think one thing that's important is I think Anne regrets her choice before Wentworth comes back rich. Um, But, of course, seeing him and their interactions are, you know, bring up all kinds of emotions. So then we follow their uh, their story throughout this novel. And all of this plays out until this is a romance. It's not a spoiler. They figure things out. Uh, (laughs) So (laughs) it's it is a. I've heard people call it a much more mature romance than some of Austen's other novels. Um, We can maybe unpack that term a little bit, but it's a book about longing and yearning. Yeah, it is. I do,
1: I I can see why it's maybe labeled a more mature romance. I think that it's maybe just her most emotional.
0: Mm -hmm. So
1: I feel like more than any other, Austin heroines, we really get an inside look at Anne's feelings for Wentworth. And her feelings are steady from the beginning compared to like an Emma who like, eyes open, all of a sudden it's Mr. Knightley or Mm
0: -hmm. Elizabeth. Even Elizabeth
1: slowly progresses over the course of the novel to like Mr. Darcy. Anna is pining for this man and is deeply saddened to see him sort of flirt with other women and be shy around her and not want to look at her and treat her kind of coldly at first. And so we really get that emotional side from the beginning. And I think Wentworth is the most emotional Austen hero ever. He's he's full of emotion. He actually like lets that out in a really significant way by the end of the novel. And so mature, I don't know. I do want to unpack that a little bit more with you. But emotional, yes,
0: absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it emotional is a great way to describe it. And I I think it probably to me is the most romantic of her books, um, because of exactly what you said, because of the pining, because we know who Anne wants and what she wants. And and she's, she's sure that it's just never going to happen until, a, you know, a much later in the novel when she starts to have some hope again. But um, that being with her through that, it really makes the end so satisfying. Um, not that I think that the other... Aston novels aren't romantic, and not that this one isn't doesn't also have deep satire and great humor. Anne and Wentworth aren't exchanging
1: witty barbs. Mm -hmm. They're not bantering back and forth. So the humor, I think the funniest part um is Anne's sister Mary. (laughs) Yeah. Mary's. (laughs) That is the funniest to me. I think she is hilarious. Um, it's Anne's family I think that is bringing the humor in the satire but Anne and Wentworth yeah they're not they're not bantering back and forth they they're heartbroken and I also just think Anne Elliot is a different kind of Austin heroine than the heroines that we've talked about before she is not plucky she is not determined she is she's different she's described as quiet and gentle. She's incredibly caring. Um, And I think at some point Wentworth says that his ideal woman has a strong mind and sweetness of manner and is sweet where maybe some of Austin's other heroines are spunky.
0: Yeah, I I think that's a that's a great way to to say it. And she's not that that spunky sparkling heroine she's also not though like dour and hard to be with in the way that a like fanny price is mm-hmm. for me <laughs> um and she's just fits in that that middle ground of someone um someone who is even if not reserved who knows she has to hide her feelings and what mm. that um must do and someone who's unappreciated right her family just does not appreciate her level-headedness um her her presence similar to um what was the Ellen montgomery book we read the blue castle yeah. yeah i was
1: thinking about that one a lot as we read persuasion i think that they make a lovely pair together
0: yeah, I think so too. Like I do think that that Fanny sometimes in Mansfield Park gets described as this sort of Cinderella like figure, it's like downtrodden. And Anne's not that. She just, she's kind of she she has retreated a little bit into herself because she's had to. <laughs> mm-hmm. And her her emotions, her desires are not um are not seen um for by, her, by the people who are supposed to be her her loved ones. And so there's this, this loneliness there beyond the, the love story. Um, but I, we get to see kind of her desire to be helpful and to have love and and give love when she's with Mary's kids, which are some of my favorite parts, both because Mary's hilarious and because I love seeing that side of Anne.
1: I do too. And I, I found her incredibly easy to relate to as someone who tends to be a bit of a people pleaser and likes to keep the peace among everyone and doesn't want to cause upset. She's also incredibly insightful. She sees through people right away because she is a bit quieter and she's not necessarily like this loud, vibrant figure in the room. She is very observant. And so there are a lot of passages in here where she sees Wentworth's face change, and because she knows him so well. She knows exactly what he's thinking, mm-hmm. Or she can just tell sort of how he's emoting because she's able to just like pick up on those subtleties. And that makes her a really great point of view to stick with when you're reading the novel as well. But we don't start in Anne's point of view, which I find really fascinating. I loved The structure of the opening of this novel, it's definitely starts with humor, but like in, um, in Emma, we start with an opening line about Emma, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, she's the title. Mm -hmm. We get that right away. And in Pride and Prejudice, it's such heavy focus on the marriage plot, right? And so we get the quippy line about fortunes and needing wives, right? But Persuasion opens up and we actually meet Anne's father first. Um, Sir Walter Elliot of Kellynch Hall in Somersetshire was a man who, for his own amusement, never took up any book but the baronetage. There he found occupation for an idle hour. And this sentence goes on. For freaking ever. But basically, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the longest sentence ever is... Describing Sir Walter Elliot as someone who is incredibly proud of his status in life. He cares a lot about what people think of him. He's incredibly vain. And we get to know sort of him and um, his wife is deceased and his daughters. And we actually get to know his eldest daughter, Elizabeth first, Lady Russell, the neighbor friend And then finally, we get to know Anne. And I just feel like this sets up her place in the pecking order. She is not um, her father's favorite, like Lizzie Bennet. She is a little bit forgotten about. Um, She kind of has to bow to the rest of her family And she's a little different from the rest of her family. She's a lot different from the rest of her family. And I just find it really interesting that we start with that and we end sort of the description with Anne. And then, like, as we get a little bit more into Anne's history, the book sort of picks up with her and carries us with her the rest of the way.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, that's interesting. I love the comparisons you made to the openings of some other books, because I, I do think that she's like setting, she sets her themes very nicely early, early on. And I think exactly what you said about Anne being different from her family and this that sense of, um, of isolation, even when you're with people that, that, desire to be known um, that Anne has, I think is put in direct contrast to the kind of desire to be known that Sir Walter has where he's like not only does he read his like books about the landed gentry entitled uh, Aristocrats of England, he annotates it and adds to his own <laughs> <laughs> own family's entry. <laughs> um because it's so important to him that it's yeah. robust and kept up with
1: one of my favorite parts of the book that i just thought was so funny was so her family the Elliot family goes to bath because they're in dire financial straits and they rent out the family home and So at one point, Anne goes to visit the people who are renting her family's house, and she's like, this could be really awkward, but they're actually lovely people, so welcoming, and it's, is it Admiral Croft, who is,
0: there are so many names. There are so many names, and I'm going to be terrible with names this episode, I apologize. (laughs) Well, anyway, he is talking
1: to her and he's so pleased with the house, which pleases her. But he's like, you know what? The one change that I made was your dad had so many mirrors in his room and I just could not (laughs) look at myself all the time. So I had a bunch of them moved. And I thought that was hilarious because it... Harkens back to that opening where we know Sir Walter Elliot is obsessed with himself and he's super vain. He actually he's obsessed with his own daughter's beauty. And he's he has this whole rant about how men in the Navy are really ugly because they're out in the sun all the time and they like live really
0: rough. Oh, my gosh. The part where they're in Bath and he talks about how like at one point he counted 73 ugly women before he saw an attractive one. Yes, he is. Terrible, but also kind of hilarious. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So it's, gosh, it's one of those stories where you're like looking at Anne and you're looking at her siblings who are kind of ridiculous and her father and you're like, how did you end up the regular one? Yeah, (laughs) right. But I am so glad that she is removed from her family for the majority of the novel because that's the story. Like, this is absolutely a romance. It's absolutely a love story. But I think at one point, we'll have to link to it in show notes, we did a TBR toppler about coming-of-age stories with older heroines. Like, they mm-hmm. weren't teenagers, but they yeah. had a coming-of-age arc. That's Anne. This is her yes. coming-of-age. This is her actually finding herself, her own identity, deciding her wants and needs without the influence of Lady Russell, without the influence of her bananas family. And it's really lovely to see her transformation. And that's mirrored in her physical transformation. Like at the beginning of the book, she's described as plain, like her bloom of beauty has left. And then by the end, it's like, well, she has her beauty back. She has a bloom in her, her cheeks again, and she's blushing again. But that's really just to articulate that she has changed and she's come into herself more.
0: Yeah, and it, it that's a that's a great... I love that that reading of persuasion as this coming of age story. I I I think um, I I really like. So this isn't the edition that I read. Well, I told you I listened to it, but this is I'm showing Chelsea my uh, 200th anniversary Penguin Classics Deluxe edition, and it has um, a silhouette a profile silhouette of Anne on one side with a sunset in kind of in the background and a ship of course and um Wentworth on the back and what I love about this cover design is that it really the this book really does feel a lot more interior than some of Austen's other works so the social satire all about the relationships and the networks and and money and how it affects people and families. Of course, that's all there. And she doesn't skimp on any of that. But there is just this richness of interiority. And so it makes Mr. Um, Excuse me. He would be so upset. Sir Ellie's
1: (laughs) (laughs) commentary
0: on exteriority all the more Mm -hmm. seem all the more shallow um, because of, of not just how like, Anne is an interior person, but how the book is an interior novel um, and really focused on the depths of, of these two characters, mostly Anne until, of course, the end when we get to know about um, Captain Wentworth's um, true, truest inner feelings.
1: <laughs> I think we've probably talked about Anne enough and we'll get to talk about some themes, but do you have anything that you want to say about other characters
0: before we move on? Um, no, I mean, I I think that there's like, there's some fun in this book with um, with Mr. Elliot, Anne's cousin, and what he, what his deal is and why he might be pursuing Anne and then what's really going on with him. And it's not a, a mystery, but there are some fun revelations um, throughout here. And then... There's – what's the woman who's Elizabeth's friend, but, you know, Mm, Sir Walter mm -hmm. is, like, kind of into her – She's She's an important character. I think. Sorry. Yes, Mrs. Clay. Mrs. Clay. Um, There's some, like – there's just some interesting um, kind of schemers in this, which is fun. Like, you know, there are – I think Jane always likes to give us, like, a Willoughby or a – a Wickham or somebody um, who's not, you know, a villain, but just, you know, to contrast maybe our our heroines who we want the the best for. <laughs> um, so I, I don't have anything specific to say, but just that there are some fun characters in here and just some really fun characterizations. I, um, I, one of the great quotes from this novel. <laughs> is about um dick musgrave um and the musgraves are a uh, like funny interesting family but she jane our narrator, you know our funny stand-in jane austen narrator says about dick musgrave um he had never done anything to h- entitle himself to more than the abbreviation of his name <laughs> which is hilarious <laughs> <laughs> um so like even though this book does feel like a little bit um more subdued and autumnal and romantic there are still some great barbs in here
1: okay i'll tell you my favorite funny moment before we, <laughs> we okay go great into themes mary Anne's sister who has husband and children she's writing to Anne, and she's talking about another woman and she's like, I don't know how she could leave her children for that long. And then just a few lines later in the letter, she's like, you let me know if I should come to Bath to be with you. I can just send the kids to my mother-in-law for like five or six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> she totally contradicts herself with a, like a few lines of a letter. When her- She cracked me up. Yeah.
0: When her little boy injures himself and... <laughs> She's like, I'm the last person who should be with him because it would just just be too much to me. Yeah, yeah. she's great.
1: Uh, She's ridiculous. Like, she is a delightful... If you enjoy Mrs. Bennett, I think Mary is the character that you'll want to pay attention to in Persuasion. Mm -hmm. But in talking about our themes, I thought a fun way to frame this, Sarah, would be to talk about the recent film adaptations not in the not in the specific sense because we haven't watched it as of recording. But we have the Netflix version, and then there was also one that was supposed to star Sarah Snook that was cancelled, which I'm still really upset I'm about upset about that too. And so that kind of brings us to the question like, why now? Why is persuasion the book to be adapted at this time? And I have a few ideas, but I am so curious to hear your thoughts on this. This is a great question.
0: I mean, I, okay, I will lead by saying probably largely because of the success of Emma. (laughs) Um, But maybe in large part because of how romantic it is and how like straightforwardly romantic it is. Um, Well, straightforward is maybe the wrong word, but um, it's not a rom-com in the way that some other Austin movies can be adapted. It has like a a, maybe slightly more serious tone, although from what I know about the new film, that's not the angle they took. So maybe I'm dead wrong about about this. But I think that, you know, that sort of um, that sort of romance might be a kind of comfort watch for viewers? I don't know. I mean, it's been a challenging few years. So maybe that's in part part why.
1: Yeah. Romance is having a moment, too. I yeah. Think, with Bridgerton. You know, the Yeah. The popularity of Bridgerton has revealed that there's I mean, we we know there's this huge market for romance novels, but that people are hungry for that on the screen. There are a couple of things that really stood out to me as I was reading Persuasion that I feel like speak to current culture. One of them is Austin writes a lot about women's care work Mm. in this novel. And and specifically is a vehicle for showing how important it is and how it can be really fulfilling she is the one who's constantly volunteering to stay with the injured child or the injured girl who fell off of <laughs> who fell off um and broke her or like <laughs> banged her head and got a concussion. And yeah. she's she's often volunteering for that kind of care work and people are looking to her to do that kind of care work. There's explicit commentary about what a woman's role is in the home versus what A man's role is there's there is a lot wrapped up in this novel around women's work Mm -hmm. and specifically caring for others in that sort of gentle, compassionate way that Anne does. And I think that that's something we're really grappling with as a culture. Like, how do we both uplift care work as really important, whether it's child rearing or caring for um, a sick parent or something, how do we really uplift that? And yet also, how do we ensure that women are not expected to be doing this work themselves constantly? Mm. So I, I just think there's so much conversation around that, particularly after a pandemic, when women left the workforce and droves to take care of their families. I just think there's so much to investigate with this novel. I don't think that's why Netflix chose Dakota Johnson to, to star in a Persuasion adaptation, but I do think it's why this novel is like having a moment. Mm, I
0: love that thought. I think maybe connected to that, but almost like on as a response to, as some people's response to that amount of care work and that amount mm-hmm. of kind of emotional labor, um the idea of boundaries within one's own family and with one's own loved ones is very much present here um i don't think anne or jane would have used <laughs> that term but we can um i mean the the question of like what how how should you be in and with a family who is your family who you love and you want to like and you want to care for, but they are not giving anything back to you. And Mm -hmm. what's your responsibility to them? Like, do you have to, does Anne have to do what her family thinks is best, even when they don't even care to listen to what she thinks is best? Um, I think that is a conversation that, that, modern peoples are are having a lot like what do we owe our families what do our families owe us and when there's that clash when how do we how do we respond um and I, I think that the book explores that in a really profound way through Anne who is such a I giver I I also think that in
1: addition to being romantic and really insightful about the care work and boundaries with family. This book really explores how trauma affects us and changes us. Even though some of the traumas in this book might be small by comparison, um, to others, which, um, you know, you don't want to compare traumas, right. <laughs> but for example, uh, Louisa's concussion after her major fall, which you have to think back. Like, concussions are scary today, right? Because brains are really delicate. And you could have a traumatic brain injury today, and it's devastating. So, concussions are scary today. Imagine Jane Austen's time, Regency period, concussions. You don't have brain scans, you don't have all of the neuroscientific research that we have today. She suffered something terrifying and the book really articulates that she is a different person because of it. Mm -hmm. Anne and Wentworth are different people because of what they've experienced apart from each other and the heartbreak that they've experienced. Mm -hmm. And there's some really explicit lines in this book that talk about that, about how people change and how life changes people. And I I just think like that's the moment that we're all in, right?
0: Mm-hmm. We are not
1: all the same people after living through a global pandemic, <sighs> still living through yes. these times and so much other stress. And this, yeah, this book really talks about that in, in a significant way. I think yeah
0: gentle way. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, I think that's really insightful. I, I've, Would have liked to see, okay, once again, we haven't seen this new Persuasion movie. (laughs) (laughs) But I would have liked to see a Persuasion adaptation that is bringing those themes more to light. And maybe this one will, just in a way that feels different to what I would have desired. But, I mean, you know, we're going to be talking more about adaptation theory and what makes a good adaptation on in our Patreon community throughout this semester, but I do think that for me, often great adaptations start by choosing thematic elements of a text that they want to highlight and deepen and emphasize, rather than just you know looking at the the plot. Um, and so, hearing you talk about some of these really important and very modern themes um ma- yeah makes me think that we maybe we need another maybe we need another persuasion adaptation that's really highlighting those things and it it also makes me wonder you know what of course what that would look like tonally and um how it would be cast and and all of that that's what we're we're looking to emphasize so um or if
1: it could be a modern
0: retelling yeah yeah so Okay, I we're definitely,
1: after we watch it, which, okay, we will have by the time this episode actually comes out,
0: mm-hmm. right? Yeah. This,
1: this is the weird time warp of podcasting yes. that we're stuck in. <laughs> but after we watch it, surely we're going to have to record an episode discussing the adaptation in that last one. But just based on what I've heard in the trailer, a lot of the complaints that I've seen are about Anne being more plucky and spirited in the film adaptation than people experience her in the book. But I, I don't think she's completely not like that. Like, I think there's a reading that you can take that her family is just sort of oppressing that part of her. There's this lovely part of the book where, oh, let me see if I marked the quote. I don't think I did, but where she's kind of listening to people talk and she decides like, I would rather have people be kind of crass and honest around me than really sort of snobby and sophisticated and like uptight. Like she, she likes people to tell it like it is around Mm -hmm. her and she really delights in people like that. Like the renters, the people who are renting her family's home, um, the Admiral, she really likes him Mm -hmm. because he is kind of like that. He just kind of tells it like it is. And he's really open and honest and cheerful. Um, And seeing that she wants to surround herself with those people, like, I can see where a little, a slightly more jubilant adaptation would be reasonable. And also, like, her family is ridiculous. So heightening their ridiculousness, I don't think is out of the question for this. I don't think it has to be solely, like, all of the pining and all of the like intense emotive romance. I think there's room for more than that. But anyway, that's the fun part of adaptation is there are so many interpretations of a book and seeing what is plucked out is always fascinating. But I I think after reading this again, I am a little bit, I'm going to approach the movie more openly than I would have before, which I think, I feel like it could have gone the other way. I could yes. have read this and been like, I loved this and it needs, they need to get it right. I feel like I'm a little bit more open to whatever interpretations there are.
0: Yeah. I am eager to watch this one. I, like, Like I said, I think that to me, what I'm really often looking for in an adaptation is a vision. Like, how did you mm-hmm. interpret this book? And then how are you using your adaptation to heighten that interpretation, to really lean into that theme? So if sometimes a film has a vision that I just disagree with, and then it's just not really movie for me, but I acknowledge that it was like, well done. I, so maybe that will be the case with this one. Maybe it has a vision. I'm worried maybe it doesn't have as much. Mm-hmm. We will see. But okay, before we dive into our pairings quickly, Chelsea, who do you think if if people have not read Persuasion, who should read this, Jane Austen? Hmm. I think if
1: rom-coms aren't your thing and you think that you don't like romance because you don't like all of the cartoon cover rom-coms that are out right now, persuasion is the romance that you should read.
0: Done. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I think That's perfectly said. I mean, we didn't even talk about, and we will talk about this more um, with in our book club. We didn't talk about the, the letter that Wentworth oh, writes. Oh, I know, the and, letter. Oh, it's so beautiful. This book has one of just the most wonderful love letters in it. And it really is lovely to get to see, you alluded to this at the beginning, the hero of an Austen novel really emote and declare his love um for for the heroine in more than just often jane will give us like a couple sentences of dialogue yeah. and then a paragraph where she's just like you know they professed everything to each other or, everything became out in the open mm-hmm. etc yeah. um but she doesn't show us everything and with this letter she really shows us Wentworth's interiority and his love um, for Anne. And um, I think sometimes, speaking of adaptations, I think sometimes other Austen adaptations steal from this letter um, for mm-hmm. their own like love scenes, um, which makes total sense to me. <laughs>
1: it's, it's so good. It is truly beautiful. I love the letter. And then also I found myself wishing. So after... Anne reads the letter. She and Wentworth end up bumping into each other on the street again and they end up walking together. Mm-hmm. So romantic, lovely, but it's there isn't dialogue. The narrator is just kind of talking about what they talked about. And I found myself like thinking, oh, I really would have loved some dialogue here to be able to hear them sort of relate back and forth to one another and get that emotion. And I thought that's what adaptations are for.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. That's what it's for.
0: Okay, well, maybe that scene will be phenomenal in the new adaptation. We'll report back. But for now, let's get into some pairings. Um, I'm really excited to hear what you picked because you you know romance so well, and I'm I'm eager to hear about some persuasion esque romances.
1: Well, likewise, just looking at our little outline here, I'm super excited to hear you talk about these titles, but um, I can start. I do have some romance to share. These are romances that I have read like halfway through and I just haven't finished them yet. But that doesn't mean that they're not good. I haven't like given up on them because because they're not good. It's just life. But they are not rom-coms. They might have some humor or some lightness to them, but they are full of longing and pining and second chances. So the first one is Before I Let Go by Kennedy Ryan. And if you are interested in reading romance, but you don't want to read rom-coms, you want highly emotional stories, you want uh, maturity and depth and just, oh gosh, like, The romances that will kind of make you cry as you're reading them. Kennedy, Ryan is for you. So and Before I Let Go, this is a second chance romance where the main characters were married and now they are divorced. So we have um, Yasmin and Josiah and they had just a lovely romance and they opened a restaurant together. Uh, And then Yasmin suffered a miscarriage and it just absolutely devastated her and really affected their marriage. And it's not that that is the sole reason that they broke up, but that was sort of like the impetus for all of the sort of emotional walls put up between them. And so know that that is absolutely a content warning going in. Yasmin reflects on this part of her life, and she is still really impacted by the trauma of that situation. So she and Josiah separated and then um, ultimately divorced, but they are co-parenting. They have two kids. They also still co-own this restaurant, and so they're still in each other's orbit. And Yasmin has to see him start to date the cook at the restaurant, and that is really hard for her. And so they just start to wonder if maybe they shouldn't let go of what they once had because they were truly in love. They built a restaurant together. They built a life together. And so uh, they have a kiss and it's like, oh, man, this is still really sexy. One thing leads to another. And so this is really about their second chance and them coming back together slightly later in life as very different people. And so it has major persuasion vibes to me, but this is a contemporary romance. This is set in Atlanta. That was another um, draw for me. I just really wanted to read a book in that setting. And Kennedy Ryan is an award-winning romance author. She's really fabulous. So this is Before I Let Go by Kennedy Ryan.
0: All right. Sounds like a great mature romance to pair with persuasion. Um my first pairing I I think it's a I think this is a romance or maybe it's women's fiction with romance I don't know but it is Evie Drake Starts Over by Linda Holmes. Um okay I have a question though is second chance romance just like you lost one person and then that person comes back into your life and you have a second chance with them mm-hmm. or is it that you had one relationship And it, like, something happened, and then you get a second chance at love. So I think the trope Mm -hmm.
1: is it's a second chance with the same person. Okay. But describing like the plot of a romance saying like they get a second chance at love <laughs> I can see where that would be confusing but I think second chance romance as a trope like as a category I think it's you get a second chance with the same person
0: okay well this is not a second chance romance then but Evie does get a second chance at love in this book so it starts she is a young I don't know exactly how old she is, but she's a young widow. Um, She lives in um, the same main town that she grew up in, in this big, big, beautiful house. And everybody thinks that she has this wonderful life. At the very, very beginning of um, the book, her husband um, dies in a car accident. And you actually, like, learn a secret that the back cover keeps secret very early in the the novel, but because the back cover doesn't go there, I'm not going to go there either. But basically like people don't know people, even, even her family, even her closest friends maybe have the wrong read on, on exactly what kind of relationship she had with, with her husband. And so she's, she's, perceived as you know being this aloof grieving widow but that might not be the the whole story so she's alone in this huge house and she decides to rent out um a room she rents it to this guy named dean dean tenney he um is a is a major league baseball pitcher but he has a case of the yips which i'd never heard of before reading this book which is just like all of a sudden, he just can't pitch anymore. He just can't do it. Um, and so he needs to, like, get away from the public and not focus on baseball. And he rents this room in, in Evie's house. Um, and they form this really great friendship that 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 where a lot is left unsaid. Evie won't talk to him about baseball. He won't talk. Dean won't talk to Evie about um, her husband, her late husband. They just kind of they they bond in other ways and leave those aspects aside. So what I liked about this, even though it's a very different setup than persuasion, was just this element of like being around someone and feeling like you have to keep keep something hidden, um, keep something, keep a wall up. How that proximity can still sort of break down those walls, even if that's not what what you want in a real relationship, can form. Um, I think like Anne, Evie feels the need to keep her emotions to downplay her her emotions, um, positive and negative. Um, and so, yeah, I, I saw a lot of a lot of Anne in in Evie Drake. Um, and I really liked this book. And it's set in Maine, which is delightful.
1: I think that's a fabulous pairing. Um, up next, I have a queer historical romance by the author of Boyfriend Material, which is a book I loved a couple of years ago. This is A Lady for a Duke by Alexis Hall. And The Pining. You want pining. The pining in this one so good but also like there is still some humor in here alexis hall just writes whip smart british humor and so this is a really emotional friends to lovers sort of second chance romance i'll kind of explain that but oh this is a good one so um it's it's definitely like mature emotional lots of romance and pining so okay Um, Viola Carroll fought at Waterloo um, as a man, but then was presumed dead and took that opportunity to live as her true self. And so she sort of sacrifices being a titled wealthy um, individual and also some of her closest companions from her former life so that she can live authentically as a woman. Then uh, her family reconnects with former family friends. This is Justin, the Duke of Gracewood. And the Duke of Gracewood and Viola were best friends. Gracewood is devastated upon uh, his friend's death. And he is like living in a deep depression, has PTSD, is experiencing um, some alcohol abuse as well. So this is like, there's some really serious tones to this romance. But um, Viola sort of like barely recognizes this brooding, like really dark man who's in such a dark place. But as they sort of reconnect and get to know each other, new desires emerge and new feelings, um, and a new kind of relationship starts to form between them. And, um, there is a lot of exploration in here about class and identity and what marriage would mean for these two people. And, um, so a lot of social commentary on gender, um, which is very Austin-like of course, but, most of all, there's so much pining and longing and it's deeply romantic. So this is A Lady for a Duke by Alexis Hall.
0: Oh, that sounds great. Oh, what a good pick.
1: It seems like a that seems like a Sarah romance. Yeah,
0: right. yeah. I think next time
1: you want a foray into the genre.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well, my next one is a recent romance, recently released romance, and one I just read. Um it is a, a chaste romance, which, so, like, not even open door or not even closed door. No doors in this, in this one. Um, it's a Regency romance called A Lady's Guide to Fortune Hunting by Sophie Irwin. Have you read this one yet, Chelsea? No, not yet, but the cover is really, oh my God, the, really pretty. The cover is gorgeous. I listened on audio, and then I had to buy it because the cover is just so pretty. I, I would be curious what you think of this one because – I find that I'm kind of into these like chaste romances, not because I'm squeamish about sex on the page, but just because they're more austin and like mm-hmm. classic mm-hmm. to me. And I sometimes that's that's what I want. And so if that's what you listeners are looking for in a romance, this one will be perfect for you. So it is about Kitty. Um, she she is the oldest sister uh, there are five sisters. Does that sound familiar? It should, because this is very much like a Pride and Prejudice sort of um, inspired tale. It starts with an epigraph of from Pride and Prejudice. And her, both of her parents have died, She leaving them in terrible debt. And so she needs to secure a rich husband so that she can pay off her family's debts and then send her sisters to school if they want to go to school Pay for their dowries if that's a need they have. And she just, she doesn't care. She's not looking for love. That's just like off the table for her. She's very practical. She needs a rich man. So she heads to London with her prettiest sister in tow so they can spend the season there meeting wealthy gentlemen. And she sets her sights very high and then higher and higher as the season goes on. Um, of course, she meets uh, Lord Radcliffe, who sees right through her scheming ways. Um, but Lord Radcliffe really wants to keep Kitty away from his brother, so who's kind of fallen for her. So he agrees to help her navigate the season and get her into all of the best balls where all of the richest gentlemen will be. Um, and... Then, you know, the story unfolds from there. And it is so delightful. Um, Of course, this would be a great pairing for Pride and Prejudice, but we've already done a Pride and Prejudice episode, so that's off the table. But what I like about it for a pairing with Persuasion is two main things. One, I think that it is very clear from the book that Anne regrets her choice of not marrying Wentworth. However... As we discussed a lot when we read Pride and Prejudice, marrying with finances in mind was what you had to do at this time. Jane Austen is not telling us that women should not be thinking about the financial situations of their potential matches. And so I, I really like the upfrontness of that in A Lady's Guide to, to Fortune Hunting. Um, and I think that we you know, could ask the question, okay, what if Anne had – married Frederick when he first proposed, and he hadn't done well. Like, what would their life be like? That's a reasonable question to ask. Um, The other thing I really like is in this book, Lord Radcliffe um, fought in the Napoleonic Wars, and he has PTSD from, from that. And we don't see that very visibly on the page with Wentworth and Persuasion, but I think sometimes we forget get that like you know the the militia of course like Napoleon never invaded and so the militia never fought um f- to defend these english towns as the british thought they might have to but there were re- there was a real war waging during the setting of austen's novels and wentworth was at war um and i you know who knows what we don't really get to see how that impacted him but i like In this modern book, um, or in this more more recent Regency romance, Irwin exploring that idea of how that might really impact, how it would have really impacted um, the men who fought those wars. So I loved that. I thought that really was a great tie-in with Persuasion. Um, And I think a lot of our listeners would like A Lady's Guide to Fortune Hunting by Sophie Irwin.
1: As you were describing it, I mean, it sounds so good. I put a hold on the audio at my library, but it says it's going to take several months. So we'll see when I get to it. But (laughs) I think I think you'll like it. I think so, too. Okay, uh, finally, last of my pairings, Sarah, is a retelling. I had to. So this one is actually a YA retelling of Persuasion, which I had hesitations about because Persuasion, as you said, is described as Austen's most mature novel. And so I was like, is a YA retelling going to capture (laughs) that emotional maturity? But it's a coming of age novel too. And so I actually think that it translates well for um, kind of setting it with younger characters. So this one, uh, Where the Rhythm Takes You by Sarah Doss is set in Tobago. and It's just the most stunning setting. The author does such a great job with descriptions and really grounding that sense of place. And the main character is 17-year-old Raina, and her family runs a gorgeous seaside resort. Her mother has passed away. And this, what I like about this retelling is, like you said, you like when a book takes an angle from the original text. This one is really allowing the main character to explore her grief over the loss of her mother in a way that I feel like is kind of brushed by in Persuasion, but hinted at. There are some hints in Persuasion about how deeply affected Anne is by the loss of her mother. Talks about how sad she was when she went off to boarding school after her mother died, how she was really low and really how it affected her. And so I like that this YA retelling dives into that a little bit more and explains explains the effect on all of the characters. Raina's father is not like Sir Walter Elliot. I think it would be really hard to read a YA adaptation where the dad was like that. Um, I just, yeah, that I, that's not what I want to read. So keep that in mind as well. But her childhood best friend, her first kiss, her first, Major crush and first love is Aiden, and he left Tobago. He left the island to pursue his music career and is wildly successful. So he comes back. He's part of a music group called DJ Bacchanal, and he comes back with his music group and sort of like his groupies, like these really popular Instagram influencers, and they're staying at the Seaside Resort where Reyna works. There is class difference that's explored in this novel. There is that sort of longing and, oh my gosh, I finally saw him again. And this is really awkward. There are um, the side characters who play a significant role, just like they do in Persuasion, sort of like the will-they-won't-they romance, um, the pining. It's, It's really good. I I don't always love every YA adaptation of a classic, but I think that this one takes a good angle. It takes some really interesting pieces of persuasion. And it's, it's a lovely read, especially if you want sort of like that, I want to escape to a different place. Like I said, the Tobago setting is lovely. And yeah, just kind of exploring first love, getting a second chance at that. Coming of Age, it's a fun retelling. So, that is Where the
0: Rhythm Takes You by Sarah Doss. That sounds really fun. I'm so glad you brought that one. All right. Um, My last book is Possession by A.S. Byatt. Did I just choose this because it's a one word P title? Maybe. (laughs) But this is one of my favorite books. And I just tonally, they feel so similar to me. Also, I really think we should do possession on the podcast at sometimes at some point because it's very much a modern classic. It won uh, the Booker Prize um, when it came out in 1991. So um, this is it's a it's a literary mystery. Um, I feel like the things that I can say about it. Do not well set up why this works with persuasion, but I think you'll just have to to trust me. So um it's a literary mystery. It is about a um, young um scholar um who finds a a he studies this um this Im- imaginary poet um that A.S. it made up named Robert Ash, and he finds this letter. In his while doing his research, that surprises him and makes him wonder about a connection between um, between Robert Ashe and um, a a woman poet of the, like an obscure woman Victorian poet at the same living at the same time. Um, he teams up with another scholar named Maud to try and get to the bottom to figure this out and they're like you know i i think they both have their phds but they're like early on in their careers and so you know they're trying to keep this hush hush from like the their supervisors because they don't want anyone to steal their research um the the subtitle of this book is possession a romance. And so while this has the framing of a literary mystery, there are multiple romances in this book to root for. There is a lot of pining and there's a lot of repression in this. And I don't think Anne Elliot is like fully repressed, but I think that she just lives in a society and in a family and in a situation where she cannot completely express her her longings and her feelings and that that is part of what makes her this kind of heart-wrenching heroine who you who you just want to root for there are many women in this book well they're the two main women in this book have similar um experiences and have that same um s- some degree of pining yes but also just that like pining not just for a person, but for a world in which they could just fully be who they want to be and feel what they want to feel without worrying about the consequences and the restrictions on on them because of their gender and class. Um, I really love this book. I will say that throughout it, A.S. Byatt has written Victorian-style poetry from the poets, and I give you full permission to skip those. <laughs> I think they're really fun and great, but they are long. These these two poets write long poems that don't make sense, and feel free to skip them if if that's your hang up with this book. So that is possession by A.S. Byatt.
1: But that matches perfectly with what is it, Captain Benwick, who mm-hmm. loves poetry. Yes. And he and Anne have that whole like side conversation. Yeah. So poetry, Iron is
0: all kinds of good stuff. Yeah. In
1: this. Yes. I love it. That's a fabulous pairing. Okay, Sarah, I don't have a pick of the week, but I thought it would be fun to share a recent Apple Podcasts review. Oh, great. So this one is from, I'm not even going to attempt the like various letters. There's, like, <laughs> well, yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you to this, to this person who posted obsessed exclamation mark, loving this podcast this summer, Sarah and Chelsea strike the perfect balance of being academic and casual when discussing the books. Some classics can be daunting, but when paired in this fun contemporary read environment, it certainly makes them feel more accessible. Thank you, Chelsea and Zira, for your work. And thank you, listener, for leaving a review for us. For our 100th episode celebration, we didn't plan anything formal. We just haven't had the space for that. But if you could go and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be the best thing ever. That would be such a celebratory moment for us to see more of those reviews in Apple Podcasts. So we'll include a link to help you find that. And go leave a review.
0: Yes. Oh, I love that. Well, we are so glad to be back in your podcast app and we cannot thank you enough for listening and reading along with us. We hope you enjoyed our discussion of persuasion today. And if you want to read along with us for the rest of the season, we'll be reading Shakespeare's Macbeth in October and then The Great Gatsby retelling The Chosen and the Beautiful by Nivo in November. The theme of our season is adaptation. Our classes over on Patreon are nerdy and our community is ready for more readers to join the fun. So if you want bonus episodes, a community to discuss classics with, seminars, classes from Chelsea and I go to patreon.com slash novel pairings and become either a literature lover for $5 a month or a literature scholar for $8 a month. And
1: a great way to keep up with us is, of course, our community on Patreon, but also our newsletter. We have a newsletter that goes out on Tuesdays along with our episodes at novelpairings.substack.com. We share... little bit about the episode we share some special links to extra resources about the episode sometimes we share what we're reading we always share announcements and important things that are coming up in the week or month ahead so make sure that you are signed up for our newsletter at novelpairings.substack.com and of course we love to interact with you on instagram we're at novel pairings pod and we would love for you to follow us there for you know, our posts, our reels, our announcements, our DMs are open over there. We also love when you share which episode you're listening to. That's a great way to share the podcast with your friends. So make sure you tag us when you share about listening to novel parents. And last but not least, thank you so much to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next episode, we're going to
0: be back with a special guest to answer all of your Shakespeare questions. Until then, we declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book.